Peace, grace, this is Pastor Colton Lott from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, El Reno. We have the privilege of building Christian community in El Reno for the world. And so if you care about building Christian community or El Reno or the world, we're glad you're listening to this podcast. If you want to help contribute to the gospel work of this congregation, please visit our website, fcclreno.org, and go to the Give Online tab. And now, here's the sermon for the week. As many of you or all of you know, my name is Joyce Thomason, and I am the Administrative Assistant, um, Assistant Emeritus, having served this congregation for over 45 years. Now, Colton wrote that and made me say that. <laughs> Pastor Colton is out of town today, and he asked me to deliver this generational overview in part because I am a distinctive voice in our church of the baby boomer generation, born 1946 through 1964, and in part so I could correct any mistakes he made. (laughs) We are in the midst of our worship series, Faith Across Time, and the sermon time is split so that the teaching about generations is highlighted apart highlighted apart from the sermon. So one of the things to know about generational cohorts is that in the 20th and 21st centuries of American life their differences are primary primarily driven by technology change which you all know I love that. This technology change affects every part of life, from medical advances, big and small, like heart surgery, to home and workplace appliances, like washers, dryers, and photocopiers, and of course, the personal computer. The baby boomers were the first generation to grow up with a TV, to show them the world beyond their neighborhood, And thanks to boomers like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, both born in 1955, we now have personal electronic devices where I can join church online using my tablet, this is from Colton too, or watch OU Women's Softball using my phone. (laughs) A small baby boom was expected to happen following World War II. But what happened was more like a baby explosion that peaked not in the late 40s, but in 1957. Our generation is called a bowling ball in a snake because of how exceptionally large we are compared to other generations. This means that American culture for virtually all of our lifetime has had to adapt to our needs, wants, and life change stages. Churches, schools, universities, and whole neighborhoods were built or enlarged to accommodate our unusually gigantic numbers. If you remember church in the 50s and 60s, you might remember how it was. But you don't remember how it always was because it was an unusual, unique time, a blip, so to speak. If sex, drugs, and rock and roll seem uncontroversial to you, then you have a baby boomer to thank. As psychologist Jean Twin 
she writes in her 2023 book, Generations, if it seems hard to believe that it was once controversial for a married woman to work and that anyone who remained unmarried was immoral, that is a sign of how fundamentally American culture has changed over the lifetime of boomers. In the life of this church, boomers have had a distinguished history of leadership. In 1977, a peculiar decision was made to hire a young 20-something named Kip Wolf, who soon hired a young 20-something you know as Joyce Thomason, and later a young 20-something you know as Cynthia Jensen. Kip was the first of four boomer pastors as David Corder, Pat Sutherland, and Jeff Knighton followed. For 30 years, our senior minister was a boomer, which in turn helped other boomers find a home here. While members of the greatest generation and especially the silent generation fought for civil rights, it was our generation that saw those notions of equality take hold. With the passing of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, we are the first generation of Americans to have our entire adult lives take place in a nation where discrimination on the basis of sex or race is illegal. While the progress is truly equal nation is incomplete, we can see the changing attitudes in church to highlight changes in the acceptability of female leadership. In the 1970s, women clergy were rare, but the ordination of women continued apace until we called our first woman to be an associate minister in 1988, the Reverend Marsha Bishop, another boomer. The idea that I could preach or serve as an elder also changed when my generation was coming to prominence. Boomers in this decade will, for the first time in our lives, no longer be the leaders of the largest generation. That will come with some shrinking pains. But to figure out this genera the generations of the church and of this country, it is still necessary to understand that generation that first understood itself to be a generational cohort, distinct and apart, are the baby boomers. Hear these words from Psalms 105, verses 1 through 6 and 37 through 45. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonderful works. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of the, those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wonderful works he has done, his miracles and judgments he has uttered. O offspring of servant Abraham, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Then he brought Israel out with silver and gold, and there was no one among their tribe who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quails and gave them food from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. 
for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. He gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the wealth and of the peoples, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. May God add blessing to the reading of these words in every time and in every place. Hear these words from Exodus 16, verses 2 through 15. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread down from heaven for you. And each day the people will go out and gather enough for that day. And that way I will test them, whether they will follow my instructions or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we? that you complain against us. And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and you fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you uttered against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, They looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. And then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of the dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you come and fill this place, that you open our hearts and our ears to the message and the words that you would have spoke, spoken to each of us. Use me and in spite of me to be your vessel this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As we begin to unpack the scripture text for today, let me give you a little perspective. And just two chapters before, in Exodus 14, the Israelites have experienced the parting of the Red Sea. The people of God walked on the dry land. They had been led by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And then they responded with songs of praise from Moses and Miriam. So things were going pretty good for them, you'd think, right? But now the people were in the desert. And the people were thirsty. So they began grumbling. So Eli was a good kid most of the time, 
But when he started acting up as a young child, nine times out of ten, he was hungry. If I would just stop and give him a snack or stop to feed him, he was good to go again. Right here, the Israelites are in the same situation. They have seen with their own eyes how God has provided for them, but they still have physical needs that need to be met before they can move on to the emotional needs of others. This is still true. We know, educational professionals know, that you have to be able to feed a child before they're going to be able to learn. This is why the breakfast food program was, that's now standard in our public schools was began as a pilot program in 1966. I wonder who started that, y'all. And was permanent in 1975. I really did not expect that. I really thought it was a lot more recent than your baby boomer generation that provided for us. The scripture message from Exodus reminds us of our human tendencies. We are quick to criticize and complain about how things should be different than they are. Moses took note of the people's complaints. And so the Israelites are now in Egypt, and they find it to be a dry, barren wilderness. They are united by insecurity, anxiety, and hunger. Four times in this passage, the people are told that they have been heard and that God will act as a result of their complaints. God always provides for his people. He supplied their needs and continued to do that for us to this day. His response was to provide manna to the people. Now, this is a gift of provision that required some labor and participation on the behalf of the people. They had to go and gather enough for this day, unless it was a Sabbath, and then they could gather enough for two days. This provided enough for everyone equally and helped the Israelites to establish a rhythm of life that is mirrored in the making of all creation in Genesis 1. Manna is the Hebrew word for what is it? So when the people saw the manna on the ground, they picked it up and said, what? They were confused and didn't know about this new gift. This was the first time that God used the word Sabbath. Moses wasn't given the Ten Commandments until Exodus 20. So four more chapters down the story. So the people were having to learn a lot quickly. It was indeed a new rhythm for them. The people were having to shift their mindsets from you've got to fight for everything if you're going to get it and no one else will take care of you. They were having to learn that God was going to care and provide for them, but they also had to trust him and him alone. He was the one true God. The narrative of slavery to greed tells us you don't own enough. The narrative of slavery to accomplishment tells us you haven't done enough. The narrative of slavery to popularity says you aren't cool enough. The narrative of slavery to comfort tells us you aren't secure enough. The narrative of slavery to perfection tells us you aren't enough. So why not take a little extra manna? Because that wouldn't be being obedient to God and what God had told them to do. God gave the people the opportunity to recalibrate according to the truth. They had to trust in truth and not in manna. God did this for the people for 40 years. God knew the people had to recover from the PTSD of the slavery mindset that they had suffered. He knew the truth had to be practiced 
and experience with disciplines built in so that it would become a part of the pupil's everyday life. We're a little slow in taking that change, right guys? So this is the shift to the way things have been. And we know how much humans like change, don't we? We've talked about that a lot lately. So how do the people react to the new rhythm? Keep listening and watching for that answer. Although the people of God have now escaped slavery from Pharaoh, they had to create a society and all the things that went along with that. They had to establish a sustainable economy in a place called the wilderness or the desert. Similar to the Israelites, the baby boomers redefined what a society would be. Because of their sheer numbers, 72.5 million people, they changed how the society had to manage everything as they moved through childhood, adulthood, and now into their senior years. During the 60s, there was social change through activism and freedom. The baby boomers created an era of hope and optimism by raising children with the ideal that social change is possible. They encouraged their children to dream big and encouraged them to be anything they wanted to be. We know that God is a God of generosity for his people. We also know that the people had experienced the greed of Pharaoh, who only cared about himself and his power. The journey through the desert is not an easy one, but God is always providing, always guiding, loving, and strengthening the people. Greed is a contributing factor that can make people willing to do almost anything. But God shows us a different way. We can imitate Pharaoh or God with our resources. We've learned that God's provision is enough. Sabbath was and is a gift. But none of these things will last forever. And none of these things will save us. What daily practices and rhythms will, will the Israelites need to ensure food security, fair wages, and equal opportunities, and rest for all. Just like the Israelites are struggling with the issue here in Exodus, I propose that we are still struggling with the same issue in our local communities. There are still people with no place to stay that are looking for safe and secure housing. People are still trying to get enough to fulfill their needs for their uh, food for their families, because they just don't have transportation, a permanent residency, and more. I encounter people with this struggle, with this reality weekly. And this week was no different. It brought me to my knees because I felt so helpless. How can everyone have enough? We have to find a different rhythm to make this reality for all. A survey from Pew Research Center says that only 48% of people use all of their vacation days. Those who don't take all of their time off says it's because they don't need it, or they worry about falling behind at work, or they feel badly about their co-workers carrying their load. A few even think vacation time hurts their chances for a promotion or could cost them their job. You may be sitting there thinking, man, that is just crazy. But I know personally that are some of my thoughts as I plan to take vacation. What does this say about how we think about work and retirement? So maybe we should give this whole Sabbath practice a try on a weekly basis so that we can realize the benefits of it. Why do we want to put off rest or travel 
or volunteering to think of it as a reward after 30 or 40 years of work. 70% of baby boomers expect to work till 65 or don't plan to retire. Now this is mostly financially motivated. They didn't save enough for retirement. Many are still paying off or using a credit card to help with the gap between income and expenses. Many have had to help their adult children and 50% use their retirement savings to do that. 38% of adult children are li have adult children living with them, and 28% have been or are caregivers. That could be for a wide range of people there. 62% have even had to spend their own money on caregiving expenses. 31% do not have an emergency fund, and 45% have no retirement savings. And even if they do have retirement savings, 55% of it is less than $100,000. So how much is too much? This text of Scripture challenges our sense of proportion when it comes to the question of what we need and not what we want. The baby boomers have been a huge impact on this country. They have had the most seats in Congress, although it is now starting to decline. They still have 45% of the House of Representatives and 66% of the Senate. The baby boomers have impacted everything and have a, been a huge force of change and openness. They have transformed our society and the things that we now take for granted was because of their influence. So Merle Mahan shared this reflection about this generation that I'm going to share with you. A young man asked his grandfather, Grandfather, how did you live in the past without technology, without computers, without internet connection, without TVs, without air conditioning, without cars, no cell phones? And Grandpa answered, As your generation lives today, there are not prayers, there is no compassion, there is no respect, no real education, there is no personality, there is no shame at all. There is not modesty, there is not honesty. We are the people born between the years 1940 and 1980. We're the blessed ones. Our lives are living proof. While playing and riding a bike, we've never worn a helmet. Before school and then after school, we played until dusk and we hardly ever watched television. We played with real friends and not virtual friends. If we were thirsty, we would drink tap water or water from the hose and not mineral water. We never worried even as we shared the same cup of juice with four friends. We never gained weight by eating plates of pasta every day. Nothing happened to our feet despite roaming barefoot. We never used food supplements to stay healthy. We used to make our own toys and play with them. Our parents were not rich. They gave love and not stuff. We never had a cell phone, a DVD player, a game console, an Xbox, a video game, a PC, an internet, or virtual chatting, but we had true friends. We visited our friends without being invited and shared and enjoyed the food with them. Parents lived nearby to take advantage of family time. We may have black and white photos, but you can find colorful memories in those photos. We are a unique and most understanding generation because we are the last generation that listened to their parents. We are also the first one who were forced to listen to their children. We are a limited edition. Take advantage of us. 
learn from us. We are a treasure destined to disappear soon. Now, I may not agree with all of these comments. You know, I don't think this generation, whatever one is coming up, has, has no morals or honesty. You know that about me. But I do know that there is value in every generation that we can learn from and that we can take the best from them and apply them to our lives. As we think about our faith across time, we know that we have thousands of years to look back on as the family of God and apply to our lives and to strengthen our faith for this day and this time. We know that we each matter no matter what age we are. And just as the Israelites had to learn a new rhythm after escaping Exodus, I believe that God calls each of us to examine our lives and to make necessary adjustments. None of us are at the finish line yet, which means we can continue to learn and grow in our faith with God as we are all on the journey to being the person that God intended. We thank God for the legacy and lesson from the baby boomer generations that have and continue to impact us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Oh,